3: Hey there, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. You know, sometimes, in fact, recently, when The Voice says, let's get this party on the road, I think, yeah, this really is a party. Well, today, it's feeling kind of quiet around here. There's so much going on, and I've had my first 10 minutes, the appetizer segment, so full with lots and lots of guests, and starting next week, it's going to be that way again. So this is the first time in a while that it's ever just been you and me so that's kind of nice you know it's a little bit like if you've been going out every night and then an evening opens up and you can just hang out with your dog and and the recorded TV shows. You wouldn't want to do it every night but uh, sometimes it's quite lovely to have it a little bit quiet. So welcome to a quiet 10 minutes before we get going with a couple of fascinating guests. Today we are running the age spectrum. So the first guest that you'll be meeting in about 10 minutes is Carl Helvey. Carl is believed to be the longest lung cancer survivor. He's 81 years of age. He's been free of lung cancer for 37 years. And in the final segment... We'll be bringing on somebody who's 13, and that is Rose McCoy, who is an animal activist who actually got arrested at a SeaWorld protest when she was 12. I think that's cool. We'll find out what you think and how she sees it all as the show progresses. And you know what? You can join in, and you can be part of this. I would love to hear from you. I want to know if you have questions for me or for either one of our guests, if you have questions thoughts about the show or thoughts about veganism or something that you want to announce. And the call-in number, if you are in the U.S., is 888-558-6489. And we are still doing and will be, through the 2014 calendar year, giving away to anybody who calls in with a question or a comment a membership in the American Vegan Society, and a subscription to American Vegan Magazine. Wonderful quarterly publication. So if you call in, that's a little perk. And apologies to podcast people, because I know most of you are listening after the fact. We'll have to figure out a way to get some gifts for the podcast listeners too. But for now, if you are listening, and it happens to be Wednesday, October 15th, About 3 o'clock in the uh, eastern United States and wherever that might put you on your part of the globe, do give us a call, 888-558-6489. We'll talk, and you'll become a member of the American Vegan Society. What do you think of that? So, golly, you know what? I've been so busy with guests in all the segments of the show that I didn't really get to catch you up on my trip to London. Now, if you want to be caught up on just everything and all the events that I know about, what's going on with Main Street Vegan and veganism in general, and also some inspiration and quotations and recipes and stuff like that from me, you can subscribe. Oops, my dog just knocked over the trash can if you heard a little something in the background. Hey there, Forbes. Wonderful dog. Anyway, to get information like that, you can subscribe to the Main Street Minute. And that means that every Tuesday I send out a little newsletter. That's why I call it The Minute. Because I don't like getting emails that just go on and on and on. I want my information. I want my inspiration right there in a little minute. So that's what I at least attempt to do. So you can go to MainStreetVegan.net and right there at the top of the home page, you'll see a little bar that says subscribe to Main Street Minute. You can do that. Absolutely no charge, of course. And um, then you won't miss out on anything, at least nothing from me, and I hope you don't miss out on other things either. So let me just fill you in for a bit about London. Oh my gosh, I love London. I moved there on my 18th birthday. Can you see? I was just really, really ready uh, <laughs> to get there, and. There's just always been this heart tug with that city and and that country. And so this time, I went for the VegFest UK, had a wonderful, wonderful time. It was a great, great festival. I so hope that they will invite me back. But something else happened over there that was kind of mystical. And since this is a Unity station, I get to be mystical as well as vegan. Oh, my, I'm lucky. And what happened was I started thinking about When I was 18 and had lived in in London for a year and then needed to come back, my student visa ran out, I had a little book called Metaphysical Meditations from a yogi named Paramahansa Yogananda. And that's a book of quotations. And one of those quotations I memorized on that airplane when I was 18, and I use it to this day. And what it says is, At the center of peace I stand. Nothing can harm me here. I love that. And I use it so much. Just that beautiful thought. At the center of peace I stand. Nothing can harm me here. Well, all these multitudinous years later, I'm back in London. Now, I've been there some in between, but we're talking about first time and most recent time. I found, while I was in London, a used copy of Yogananda's most famous book, Autobiography of a Yogi. And almost anybody who's into yoga has read that book. But for some reason, I don't know why, I never did. And so I picked up this used copy, and I was reading it here and there when I had some little time in between uh, meeting wonderful people like um, the Food Duo. Do you guys know the Food Duo on Twitter? They do these fabulous food chats every Wednesday night. So we had breakfast, met some other amazing people, did the show over there. If you didn't catch the show with uh, the wonderful marathoner Fiona Oaks and and the great intellect and um, I believe he calls himself the grumpy vegan <laughs> Kim Stallwood. That was a terrific show. But in between all that stuff, I was reading Autobiography of a Yogi. Then on my very last day in London, I thought, you know what, just take a bus tour. You know, be a tourist. That'll be fun. And on the bus tour, I met this charming gentleman who is an Indian-born medical doctor who lives in Albuquerque. And I learned that he happened to be a devotee of Yogananda. So I thought, okay, that's nice. Well, he was so interesting that I asked if he wanted to have lunch with my American friend and and me at Wild Foods, fabulous raw food, mostly raw food restaurant in my favorite section of London, which is called Neil's Yard. Neil's Yard is this little holistic conclave uh, in the Covent Garden area. So when we got there and I introduced them, my friend Linda from the States was saying, oh, Yogananda, oh, that book meant so much to me. And then she started telling about her fabulous, serendipitous spiritual experience that she had in India. Then we were seated at a communal table. And after about 10 minutes, a young woman sat down who overheard us talking and she said, excuse me. But I've been meditating at the Self-Realization Center, which is the Yogananda Center in London, for several months. And I'm wondering if I should take the course. And this lovely doctor just said, I thought I was only taking a bus tour. So it was quite the serendipity fest. And then when I got back to the States, I realized that there is a film about Yogananda. There's a biography of him that's uh, playing right now in New York City at at the Village Cinema East. It's called Awake. I don't know how much distribution it's going to have around the country and around the world, but we're so lucky to be alive in 2014 so that we can get things on Netflix and hither and thither and all about. So I really do recommend Awake because, you know, we're eating this great food. We're feeling wonderful. We're trying to do good in the world. And there's a deeper part of us as well that, at least to me, sometimes needs to be acknowledged and nurtured. And that film really did it for me. I think that you might like it, too. I hope so. And we're up to break time. And we will be back with the world's longest lung cancer survivor and possibly the world's youngest person ever to go to jail for the animals. Stay with us.
1: you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world that's easier than ever with mobile giving just text unity radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives what if you could experience vibrant
2: health help heal the planet
3: Welcome back, everyone, and it is my distinct pleasure to be introducing you to someone who has done something phenomenal. He is Dr. Carl O. Helvey. He is a registered nurse. He is a doctor of public health and professor emeritus of nursing at Old Dominion University. He is believed to be the longest-living lung cancer survivor and he did this all with holistic methods. Welcome, Dr. Helvey.
4: Thank you, Victoria. I'm happy to be with you.
3: Oh, it's, it's such a pleasure. Your, your story is so fascinating and, and so inspiring. For people who haven't been touched by lung cancer, how devastating is that disease in this country?
4: Well, they estimate that during uh, your lifetime, one in every four people will be touched with lung cancer. It's the most, it's the uh, cancer that has the most deaths, and there are more deaths from lung cancer than from uh, breast, prostate, and colon cancer combined, even though you tend to hear more about those.
3: And for non-smokers, I think so many people think, oh, I've never smoked, I don't have to think about that. It it strikes Mm -hmm. non-smokers as well.
4: Right. Uh, The majority is from people that smoke, but there are people that have secondary smoke, people who are exposed to radon, uh, asbestos. Uh, They think even diet may have some influence on it. I tend to subscribe to a holistic approach so that I think diet is such an important aspect of every disease. And also, you know, our immune system is important, our prayer life is important, our mental attitude is important, our support system is important. So I tend to subscribe to a holistic approach, even though there are things that tend to trigger like the smoking or secondary smoke.
3: Right. And I know that you talk about this at length in your book, and that is, you can beat lung cancer using alternative integrative interventions. But tell us your story. How did you find out you had cancer, and why did you decide not to do conventional treatment?
4: Well, it started in 1974, and I had a dream that told me to go for a chest X-ray. And I pay attention to dreams I always have because I believe that it's one way that God speaks with us if we listen. And so I went to my doctor because at that time you had to go through your primary doctor to be referred for anything. And so I had an X-ray, and it came back with a spot that hadn't been there previously. So he sent me for a biopsy, which came back positive for lung cancer. And so then the surgeon and my doctor come in, and they tell me that they're going to do chemo and surgery. And I said, wait a minute. I don't make snap decisions. I go home. I pray about it. I make a rational decision, and I may or I may not be back. And they kept saying, but you'll be dead in six months. And I kept saying, but that's my responsibility to make the decision. Your responsibility is to tell me the pros and cons of surgery and radiation, I mean, chemotherapy, and my responsibility is to make the decision. So I came home, and I had a dear friend named Ursula, and we were in a Search for God group together, and Ursula offered to pray every day to watch her dreams we'd compare notes she also asked if i would like a psychic reading and i thought well i've never had one but i don't have anything to lose so i had a reading and we compared notes and everything came back that i should have use a natural approach not take chemo and not have surgery and i was delighted with that uh and so um, Ursula knew a physician in Vienna, Virginia, who had had much success using Laetrile, which was illegal, uh, but he told me where to get it, and so I went to him. And he gave me all the physical aspects. I took Laetrile, 2,000 milligram every day. I took uh, pancreatic enzymes, which are very important. Uh, as a supplement because they soften the protein shell around the cancer cells. I took zinc, which carries the uh, uh, laetrile to the uh, cancer cells. You will hear that there's cyanide in uh, laetrile, and the traditional literature will say it will kill you, it will send you to the emergency unit. What they don't tell you is that it, that the laetrile, the cyanide in the laetrile requires certain enzymes to activate it, and cancer cells have the enzymes around them, but normal cells do not, so that it's very specific to killing the cancer cells and doesn't affect normal cells. Well,
3: let me I, just... Yeah. I, May I just uh-huh. interject for anybody who's never heard of Laetril? You know, we heard a lot about that back in the seventies and the early eighties, mm-hmm. and I think you know a lot of mm-hmm. young people have never even heard the term. So it's derived mm-hmm. from—is it apricot pits? If I'm not mistaken,
4: right. that's the b- best source. Right is the uh, apricot pits. Right. Uh-huh.
3: Okay. Fascinating. And uh, how yeah. did your it is
4: still it is still, mm-hmm. it is still did... available?
3: Okay. How did your family, and especially your medical colleagues, react? I mean, you were already practicing as an RN, correct?
4: Oh, yeah. I had been an RN since 1954. Oh, my goodness. So my family, my mother's attitude was, well, why don't you just do what the doctor wants you to do, the chemo and the radiation, and then you can do these other things. But that was not right for me. And my colleagues, most of them, wouldn't even talk about it. Now, I did want to mention as far as what the doctor prescribed, since your show focuses on vegan, uh, he prescribed a vegan diet. Can you imagine this 40 years ago?
3: Wow, that was unique.
4: And uh, the rationale for it, because there was rationale for everything I did. The rationale was that some digestion... and it was not only vegan, but it was 75% raw fruit and vegetables with some additional cooked. And the rationale being that some digestion takes place in the upper stomach uh, with raw fruit and vegetables, but it's cooked vegetables and fruit and processed foods, of course, uh, all are uh, digested in the lower stomach, and it puts a big drain on the pancreatic enzymes. So I had raw fruit and vegetables, and then some additional cooked, I had grains and nuts, but no protein, no carbohydrate, no simple carbohydrate, and I did that for uh, two years. Now, I did take something called AG Pro, uh, because it's very difficult to get enough protein using just a plant-based diet.
3: Oh, Dr. Helvey, I so (laughs) would take issue with that. Let's let's not go there.
4: Well, I'm back on this for a, um, I was diagnosed with atrial fibrillation in December, Mm -hmm. and my um, uh, doctor, of course, wanted to put me on beta blockers and blood thinners and all of this, and I I did it for a couple months, but it made me feel so sick that I told him, I've got to get off this. And so I'm using all natural things, but one of the things that I'm using is the vegan diet again because uh, the research has shown uh, Dr. Eckelstein. Ecclstein, I think it is.
3: yeah, he's been on the show.
4: Oh, has he? Yeah. and And so his research is on the vegan diet. Yes. And he's had a lot of great results with this. And so I'm on uh, that, but I do find, uh, but my cardiologist yesterday told me that he thinks that I'm taking too much protein because I calculated and I thought I needed about 90 uh, gram a day, and he said he figured probably 60. So at 60, I should be able to do it with, uh, strictly with the plant-based through because I do some uh, plant-based uh, protein powders. And uh, then, you know, I get some veggie burgers, and, uh, of course, um, uh, lentils are high, and hemp is high, and so there's a lot of good sources, but... uh, I was trying, I think I was taking too much protein. and Yeah,
3: so. well, I think it, that's the American way. You know, we've, we've been told that we need all this protein, and, and then the work of, of Dr. Campbell and others has shown that excess animal protein, certainly we haven't seen that excess vegetable protein is a problem in this way, actually turns on cancer cells, and nobody... <laughs> Wants to be doing that. So tell us about what what happened. So you were doing your your vegan diet. You were taking, um, you know, your natural supplements and, and uh, Laetrile. And when were you um, uh, announced cured?
4: Well, let me mention two other things, if I may, Victoria. Sure. One thing was vitamin A, and I took 300,000 international units a day, and then I dropped to 100,000 and then to 50,000. And as you know, 5,000 is the recommended daily allowance, and I did this for a year. And my doctor told me that the reason I was doing it was to prevent normal cells from converting to cancer cells. And I came across research about three to four months ago that proved that that is what happens. That was very exciting to me, you know, because my doctor was so progressive. But the other thing is doctors and my doctor focus on the physical. They don't look at the spiritual and the mental. But as a nurse with a doctorate in public health, it seemed very important that you focus on other things. And so I added things like prayer, meditation, affirmations, visualization. I was on church prayer lists. I was on a psychic healer's prayer list. I tried to serve others. I tried to strengthen my patience and my forgiveness, et cetera. So I used a variety of um, non-physical interventions so that it was more holistic. And I did this for two months, I mean two years, and at the end of the two years, the spot was gone, and I had not told my primary that I was doing anything, so he thought we were in a wait-and-see mode. So he said, well, I guess I made the wrong diagnosis, but my friend... (laughs) (laughs) Was a, <laughs> we hear that a lot, don't we?
3: Yes, yes.
4: And my friend who was professor of pediatrics when I taught at Duke, and at this point he's the medical director for Blue Cross Blue Shield for North Carolina, and he said, I want to see everything, the x-rays, the lab, or the biopsy, everything. And that. So I collected everything. I took it to North Carolina. He reviewed it, and he said it definitely was lung cancer.
3: Well, we can heal. The, the body can heal, and it seems that that is more surprising to people who have dedicated their lives to being healers, <laughs> maybe than it is to <laughs> to anybody else. So, when you look mm-hmm. from, from the inside out, you're both a survivor having used these holistic methods, and you are a healthcare professional. How do you see the the healthcare picture today? Is somebody who gets the diagnosis that you got back in the seventies better off today than you were then?
4: No, I think that they're worse off uh, because there's the statistics show that there's not been that much of a change in death rates and everything else of uh, you know of cancer and often. The cancer comes back and even recently there's research that shows that chemotherapy does not get all of the cancer cells and consequently it's the most resistant cells that are left behind and then in a few years when it comes back it's much more difficult to treat. So I think people are learning more about natural ways to deal with cancer and other health problems. You know, uh, uh, my Holistic Health Show is all about natural ways to deal with problems like arthritis and diabetes. And And tell us where people can
3: find that show. Then we need to go to a caller.
4: Okay. Uh, It's uh, holistichealthshow.com. And then under the blog are all of the shows for the last six years.
3: Wonderful. Okay, Janie, thanks for calling. How are you? Hey, Janie. Well, you're our winner. I can hear you beautifully and uh, stay on after you talk with Carl and me and uh, give um, our wonderful engineer your uh, address, uh, phone number and email, and you'll get your membership in the American Vegan Society and your subscription to American Vegan Magazine. Do you have a question for our guest?
5: I do. I
3: am calling because um, my mother is actually undergoing treatment for cancer. She was diagnosed about a year ago with an aggressive form of thyroid cancer uh, which she treated um,
5: with chemotherapy and radiation and surgery and she has to be screened regularly and she's currently just recently undergone a biopsy on her lungs and there's a strong suspicion that it is lung cancer. Um, my mom I know will not be. would not be comfortable taking a fully holistic route to treating her illness should it come back, lung cancer. Um, But I was wondering if there was anything that she could do along with the traditional therapy that I know she's going to choose to do that
3: might increase her likelihood of regaining her health.
4: Well, what I use is very difficult to use, just uh, part of it, because... As I mentioned, so many of the things interacted like the zinc got it to the website and the pancreatic Mm -hmm. enzymes softened the uh, protein shell around it. So, you know, you need a lot of these same things. It's not something. Now, a lot of people do add uh, apricot kernels uh, Mm -hmm. to whatever they're doing, and I took 25 a day. I didn't mention that, but I took 25 a day. But something else that a lot of people are using and are having a lot of success with that your mother could use along with the traditional is the Budwig Mm -hmm. Diet, B-U-D-W-I-G Diet. And it's Mm -hmm. a combination of flax, oil, and um, organic uh, 1% or 2% cottage cheese. And when these are combined, the, the chemical composition changes, and it has uh, shown that it is very effective in cancer treatment. Uh, a lot of people also use something called uh, Protocell, which is very controversial, but uh, it, it also is something that could be used along with most other uh, treatments, but um, you'd have to read up on that because there are certain things. I know vitamin C is one thing that you cannot take when you're taking the protocell. So, uh, so I would suggest that maybe the apricot kernels and maybe the Budwick diet and mm-hmm. maybe looking into the protocell.
3: Great. Thank you so much. And, and uh, Carl's book as well you can beat lung cancer using alternative integrative inventions And of course um, Janie, if your mom hasn't read the China study or, or watched Forks over Knives it's not specifically about cancer but it's certainly about healing and, and living well and it's inspired a whole lot of people. So good luck I will to keep you you. And to thank her. You. And give your information thank to uh, to Jeff. Dr. Healthy, our time is up. Boy, that has flown. <laughs> and thank you so fast, much for isn't it? Yeah, well, thank you for being in touch with me and, and for offering to share your story. The website is beatlungcancer.net. So take a look there if you want to know more about what Dr. Carl Helvey experienced and what just might be possible for this magnificent body that we've all been given. Thank you so much, and God bless.
4: Thank you, uh, Victoria. I appreciate it. (laughs) Take good care.
3: And we will be back with an animal activist who's only 13.
1: What if you could improve your health one decision at a time? Take that first step and join us each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central and learn from experts in integrative medicine. Awaken to Your Best Health is committed to supporting your personal health through cutting-edge research, education, and practical tips that you can put into place immediately. Make that decision for yourself by saying yes to health.
2: Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran.
3: Welcome back to Main Street Vegan, everybody. I'm your host, Victoria Moran. So happy to be with you here today. Grateful to the good folks at Unity Online Radio for making this show possible. And I'm so excited to be introducing you to a young woman whom I met with her mother at actually a demonstration about getting the New York City carriage horses off the street and retired to sanctuaries where they belong. But I didn't know when we met that this young woman is quite the accoladed activist. She is Rose McCoy, a 13-year-old straight-A student, lifelong vegan, and an animal activist who made national news this past winter when she was arrested protesting SeaWorld with her mother, Emily McCoy, and other PETA members at the Rose Bowl Parade. Welcome, Rose. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you for having me. Well, I have spent much of the morning reading your press clips and watching all of the, the TV clips from when um, the SeaWorld incident happened. but that was not the first activism that you engaged in, correct?
5: Correct. Um, I've been my whole life I've been doing activism, and that's largely thanks to my wonderful wonderful parents.
3: Well, I think your parents are wonderful, too, because I also raised a vegan daughter who was out carrying signs in her stroller. But some people don't think that. When I was reading through the clips about you, some people were commenting, you know, oh, these parents are just using this child for their purposes. What do you think about comments like that?
5: Well, First of all, I think it's really silly because they don't know me or my parents, so they're not very good judges of how my parents and I, what our relationship is like. And um, I also find it kind of insulting that they assume that I can't have an opinion of my own and that I only do what my parents tell me to, because obviously this is something that is very much about expressing how I feel. So... It's really ridiculous when I see comments like that, that they're using me or that uh PETA's using me or something like that because, well, I have an opinion, too, and I'm free to express it. And um, I realize that it's a good way to get press, and that's why I did it.
3: Good for you. So tell us about the arrested part because I think everybody is going like, oh, my gosh, that takes a lot of courage. How was it? What did you do, and why did they lock you up?
5: Well, um it was uh SeaWorld had a float in the Rose Parade, um the New Year's Day Rose Parade and um so what some of the other activists and I did was we ran out and we sat in front of the float to try and hold it up and um that was why we got arrested and um the the arrest my arresting officer was pretty rough but then Pretty much all the other officers were very, very nice. So basically, I just spent like seven hours in a very, very boring cell with every now and then some officer popping in and asking me if I would like some food.
3: Aw, so <laughs> probably not vegan was, food.
5: <laughs> no, that's why someone kept trying to offer me cheese puffs, and I was like, I don't eat that. They didn't really understand, but tried explaining to
3: them. They And you, you were, you were 12 years old. What were yes. you thinking during those seven hours? What thoughts crossed your mind?
5: I can't wait until I get out of here. <laughs> um, it was, uh, this is really boring. There is a spot on the wall, um, just all observations about the room that we were in. That I, Well, I was in. I was in there alone. Um, and uh, also I was wondering, because I wasn't with the other activists, I was wondering what it was like up there. And I was kind of enjoying it a little bit because... It was um an interesting new experience. Um, I was also kind of concerned because they were asking me questions. I wasn't sure like how to answer them all the time because I'm not sure, I wasn't very uh, thought out about how much information you should or shouldn't say, um, but so I think that went all right, so it's all good now. <laughs>
3: Well, you're an amazing young woman. So tell me a little bit about how it's been for you growing up this far. I mean, you're 13, so I guess I can't say grown up, uh, although you sound grown up. What's it been like being a, a vegan kid and and having this heart for animals?
5: Well, it's been really fun. There's a lot of experiences that come with it that are very memorable and that um, are just all-around enjoyable. I also get to meet a lot of new people in situations that most other people don't get to meet. You know, most of my peers haven't gone to a protest where they can meet other interesting activists or um, gone to talk to kids in other schools about uh, animal rights or any issue for that matter. So growing up in an activist community or in an activist family is a very... It's just an interesting experience, and you you get a lot of, like, it's very seasoning. You get to know a lot more that a lot of people. You get to see a lot of things most people don't get to see. Um, it also, it feels, there's something kind of comforting about, so even when, you re, when you're kind of, <laughs> like, the weight of the world is on you and you're kind of sad for whatever reason, day hasn't been going real well, um, first of all, you remember that there are a lot of other people and a lot worse, or animals um, and situations that are a lot worse. And um, you can think about the sort of progress that's being made, and that always cheers me up. So it's been, like, really helpful to me as well. So, um, yeah, that's been really nice. And then I got a lot of really delicious food that a lot of
3: my friends probably don't get.
5: (laughs) My mom is the best cook in the whole world, and she's always making really good vegan
3: Meals. Well, let's give a plug for your mom because she's not only a great mom and a great cook, but she's also an incredible... Do we call her a potter? Is that the word? Uh, sorry? Do we call your mother a, a potter? I mean, what she does is so beautiful. I mean, I oh, think uh, the pottery is being kind of rustic.
5: Uh, yeah, that's... um, Yeah, I guess potter is the right word.
3: Um, well, her, her, her studio is, is uh, Daisy Dog Pottery, and it's she makes exquisite um, dishes and, and, and fabulous mugs and teapots and all sorts of wonderful things um, with a percentage of proceeds going to PETA and other um, animal organizations. So you might want to check out uh, Deezy Dog Pottery there online. So, Rose, what's the first activism you remember doing?
5: Um, oh, wow, that's hard. Going back... Well, it's not really going back a ways. I'm kind of too young for that, but it's kind of going back some time for me. Not, Oh, God. Um, probably doing uh, Fur Free Friday at... Um, uh, well, um, during Fashion Week. Um, mm-hmm. Pardon me, not Fur Free Friday. Um, Fashion Week, sorry. Different things. But I get them kind of confused. Protesting Fur at um, Fashion, Fashion Week uh, with... A member of PETA who had come down to New York, and we were um, leafleting outside of various designers' um, what I call runway shows. Um, so, that's probably the those are probably the first protests that I remember.
3: So, is there any area of of animal rights that touches your heart the most? I mean, I know they're all really, really important, but does one just really keep you up at night and get you up in the morning?
5: Well, I'd say this is going to sound like a very cheesy answer, but I'd say it's probably the the um, the animal rights issue that's probably the most, not current, but that has the most, um, like, uh, attention around it because it provokes like a lot of it evokes a lot of emotions from uh, me and it also has like this a lot of pushback um, coming that you want to f- just fight because th- it's there and you need to because you need to get that issue done and it's also exciting because you know that that, um, that, that uh, issue is probably potentially going to be solved or or people are going to start educating themselves about it and understanding it more. So that makes it something that um, keeps you truly, like, on edge for however long it takes, a month, a week, whatever. So during the, the holiday season, after Blackfish came out, the, the issue with that, if you'd asked me then, I'd probably have said Blackfish, or uh, pardon me, Orca's in um, entertainment or amusement parks that hold animals captive or but if you would ask me i don't know last month or two months ago or just before blackfish came out it would probably be the carriage horse issue because yay we've got mayor de blasio in and he's gonna help us get get rid of those um that in, industry out in the uh, up in central park so um just it's kind of it's always changing
3: yeah and, and there's there's certainly no lack of issues, so how's the vegan thing been for you? Have you gotten any flack from teachers or or doctors or friends' parents what What's it like to be vegan and be thirteen
5: um actually I mean there has been like every now and then someone's a little annoying about it, but um for the most part, it's been really positive experiences with those sort of um, people. Like my uh, my teachers at my the school that I'm at now, for the most part, I've found out that most of them are, like, mostly vegan or, or mostly vegetarian or they are. I've got one teacher who's completely vegan, another who's been eating, like, a lot of vegetarian, and then another who's eats no meat except fish, and no milk. So it's kind of like all those are really exciting. And my fourth-grade teacher was um, vegetarian, and then she went vegan. And um, uh, a fourth-grade teacher who was like her colleague was already vegan. So a lot of, you know, most of the teachers I remember have been kind of progressive about those sort of things. But... um. Uh-huh. Sorry, go
3: ahead. You must go to a very cool school. I mean, I know you are in, in New York City, and, and we do tend to have a, I think, somewhat higher proportion of, of vegans maybe than some places, but your school that's, sounds yeah. heavenly.
5: Yeah, it is. It is. My principal is vegetarian.
3: Seriously? So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow. That, so, is,
5: that is. My next mission is to get a veggie burger on the menu, which I'm doing with the help of PETA 2.0.
3: So. Oh, that's wonderful! And PETA too. For anybody who doesn't know, is is the young people's part of PETA? PETA is out to get everybody at every age. You've got PETA two for young people, and you've got PETA Prime for the over fifties. <laughs> so nothing like zeroing in. Now, I was talking at the beginning of the show, Rose, about uh, my trip to London for the Veg Fest UK and what's going on over there. And oh my gosh, there's so much going on in Germany as as well vegan supermarkets, uh, Dust Vegan magazine, so there's a lot there. And I know that you spend summers in France. How's the vegan scene there?
5: Um, It's, for the first time I went, it was nowhere. It was, I, there was like really, my mom cooks, and that was, that was, you know, how we would eat, was my mom was cooking for us. But then, um, I think like two summers ago um we found a vegan supermarket there that's it's like well not supermarket it's um it's like all the vegan versions of stuff that wouldn't be vegan normally and it's run by activists which is really really cool um that's in paris yeah that's in paris but there's an activist community there that's um that's really impressive and uh, a guy who I met, he was a barber, he cut my hair once and we were talking and we got on the conversation of food and he, um, he asked "Oh, he asked me if, I, um, if the food was very different in France than it was in New York and I said, well, uh, my mom cooks because we're vegan so we can't really eat a lot of places and he said, oh, I'm vegan and he was just some old French guy that I it's really surprising that I don't know how long he's been. Our, our neighbor was, um, vegan from being a hippie. That's what she said. was, um, when she was, she was young in the sixties and all her friends and her went, um, vegetarian. And, uh, yeah. So there's just a lot of like small things that they're not, it's not necessarily a huge community of vegans or activists or anything like that, but there's, there's, a Handful of people who you'll they'll pop up every now and then, and y- you get to meet some pretty interesting people, so
3: yeah, well, so, you know, any anytime a French person swears off butter, a revolution has happened in heaven. I mean it's, it's a pretty great and thing
5: the um sorry, I forgot the most exciting thing that I've heard in a long time about uh, France and veganism. the man who's considered the godfather of French gastronomy was um, he's just eliminated meat from all his stores. So that's really cool. And I think he also, I might be getting this wrong, but I think it was like cream or something else. There's some sort of dairy product that he's also eliminated.
3: Wow. Do you Um, have his name?
5: I don't, I'm
3: sorry. Well, no, that's okay. Maybe you can get it to me in an email and I'll I'll announce it next week. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Okay. It's interesting to me to see all of, of the various branches of, of veganism. Certainly there's animal activism. There's the whole fashion thing. There's the culinary world, which is just going crazy. I know yeah. uh, Frank Costigan, the chocolate lady, is getting so much attention in actual chocolate circles. Okay. <laughs> It is not, not just for being vegan, but just because vegan chocolate is a, a viable way to do um, pastries and candies these days.
5: Yeah. So They're good for really us. Good. Let me tell you, that is my favorite thing to do as a vegan activist is to sit down and eat some vegan chocolate.
3: And share and it. Get that I, think, I think that's cool, too. You know, I, I know it would be probably not perhaps the best investment of money that whenever people are out leafleting, they also would hand a little piece of vegan chocolate.
5: <laughs> I know, that would be... No one would be uh, not vegan anymore after that. If that if that happens and everyone just got handed a piece of vegan chocolate, it would be like everyone would be eating vegan chocolate from then on.
3: Yeah, pre- pretty wonderful. I guess that's stealth activism. So, <laughs> in, what's your plan? Do you want to be a full-time someone who works with or for animals or, or what do you want to do in your life?
5: I want to um, do anything that helps animals, like anything that I can. Um, my favorite organization is PETA. They just, they're the number one group. They, My heart goes out to everyone who works there because they are just so dedicated and so amazing. And I love Ingrid Newkirk. Um, So my ideal job would be working for or with PETA, um, whether that would be being a lawyer on their legal team or a lawyer who does pro bono stuff for them or something, I don't know. But um, I don't know how all that stuff works, but I am hoping that there's something like that that I could do or just plain working there for them or, I don't know, anything like that.
3: Oh, that sounds great. And I think sometimes just setting an intention like that. A young woman went through Main Street Vegan Academy, and she really wanted to work for PETA. And it happened to be at the time when Ingrid was in New York City kicking off her her lecture tour last year. So we got all the students in for Ingrid's lecture. And as a result of that, this young woman is now doing all sorts of of fabulous campaigns for for PETA. So I think, you know, you set your mind to something, and then that's just what you do. Yay! (laughs) It's a cool thing, because my daughter grew up vegan as well, and she's now starting a a wildlife rehabilitation center uh, here in New York for mammals, because we've got the Wild Bird Fund for birds, but nothing for the little animals that are in... All the parks and elsewhere, so you know there's just where there's a will there's a way to do it. so tell yeah. me about your friends. do you have a vegan friend, or do you just hang out with other people and they accept you and you accept them
5: um, well i pretty yeah most i mean i ha- I became friends with at the the middle school I'm at now um Uh, in seventh grade, I became friends with two girls, and I just happened to find out that, like, we, I didn't become friends with her because she was vegetarian. I found out that one of the girls who I was friends with was vegetarian, just since she was six. That was just something that, it was a coincidence. Um, and then I had another girl who was an activist who, um, she, uh, read an article that I wrote for our school newspaper, and so we became friends. Um, and we actually, the time we spent most bonding was when we both denied going to the uh, class field trip to the zoo. So we just spent all day together sitting at the school, not doing anything. Um, so, and then uh, the last one of um, my friends, she and I became friends, and we both were doing argument essays um, for uh, our English class. And she chose having meat on the menu at Quinton. That's where I go to school. And um, uh, she she started researching with me, and she went vegetarian and then turned her brother and sister vegetarian as well. So that was really cool.
3: That is cool. So did somebody else have to take the pro-meat argument?
5: No, that was just, it was um, essays that they didn't have to, like coincide with anyone else's, we just happened to both choose the same subject, and uh-huh. my English teacher said, "She knows a lot about it. why don't you go work with her so um, that was how that happened.
3: Oh, that's cool. And I know that um, New York Coalition for Healthy School Food is doing so much in in the public schools. They are having their annual gala on the 24th of October. So anybody in the New York City area, do check out New York Coalition for Healthy School Food. I'll be co-emceeing with Dr. Robert Ostfeld, the cardiologist who was on our show a few weeks ago. So find out what those good folks are doing. Rose, you are a wonder. you are absolutely amazing. So is your mom. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today, and thanks for all that you do for the animals. It's thank you very much, and I think much the same of you. Ah, oh, bless you. Well, it has been a pleasure. So everybody else. We have a great show coming next week. We're going to have Will Tuttle. You know Dr. Will Tuttle from The World Peace Diet. He has a new book coming out. That's something to look forward to. And we'll also have Teresa Ryan, who is a best-selling author, and some other guests, too. We're going to have a really full house next week. And on the 29th, we'll be inviting Dr. Oppenlander who you may have seen in Cowspiracy. He is an expert on the environmental side of things. So there's a lot going on over here at Main Street Vegan, and I know there's a lot going on in your life, which makes me appreciate all the more that you have taken this time to share with us. God bless you, and eat your veggies.
0: Many people believe that happiness is an addition problem. If we can add what we want to our life, then we will be happy. In reality, happiness is a subtraction problem. It is learning to subtract all that has kept us from being happy. What thought, fear, or belief is keeping you from being happy? Let it go from your mind and watch how much happier you become. Let go of the past. Release regret and resentment, and you'll be free to move forward and create the life you deserve. This moment of inspiration was brought to you by Reverends Richard Mirage and Richard Rogers, hosts of Spiritual R&R. For more spiritual insight, join them every Monday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio.
1: Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
5: Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to consider these words from Unity author Charles Roth. Live deeply in the present moment. If you are going to work on the premise that real energy, real excitement that feeling of being fully and enthusiastically alive comes from a source within you then it follows that you have to spend some
3: time getting acquainted being at home in those far reaches of inner space peace is power for out of stillness strength is born and out of inner harmony productivity flourishes rest
5: in that inner peace
1: This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity.
2: Hello I'm Dr. Stephen Farber and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like Earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts, so you don't miss an episode.